Uh, my name is Tim. This is like, I think, the third time in four months that I have been here, and I've had the privilege of uh, bringing the word to you guys, and I love it. Uh, I have been a youth pastor uh, since the 1900s. That's not a joke. It was 1999 when I became a youth pastor, and I have really enjoyed doing that for 23 years, working in the Nazarene Church, serving in the Nazarene Church, and uh, ministering to kids and their families. And I came from Lancaster this morning, and Lancaster, when I left, was 81, 82 degrees. And I came over the hill past Santa Clarita into the 58-degree weather, and I loved just, this is perfect. This is perfection to me. Uh, so uh, if you need a youth pastor, I'm <laughs> available. I'll just come on out because I love this weather. One of the best uh, summers of my life was spent at Cannon Beach, Oregon. I was there for the summer working with a whole bunch of college students that were working at a, a Christian conference center. And it was like this, and I loved it. So it's great to be here. Uh, we have been friends with Aaron. My wife and I, Wendy and I, have been friends with Aaron and Paige for a long time. Uh, this week, we kind of feel even closer than friends. Even though we're older than them, we kind of feel like we're their kids uh, because all, like, much like their kids, we were not invited to go to Hawaii with them either. Uh, so <laughs> now I know how their kids feel. Um, I understand. I hope it's been a great week for them in Hawaii. Uh, and I think they're coming back today or tonight. Uh, tomorrow, I am heading up to our district camp. Uh, we have a summer camp. There's going to be about 117 uh, kids and leaders up there. So be in prayer for that this week. Uh, that the spirit will just move. This is our first camp uh, since 2019. Camps have been off for the last two years because of COVID. This is our first one back, and we're excited to be all back together again as district uh, churches. I think we have uh, nine or ten district churches sending their kids up, and it's just going to be a really fun time, so be in prayer for that. I need uh, someone to help me out really fast. Is there someone that can help me out? Um, here's the deal. You didn't realize this this morning. I am speak I'm giving a seminar up at that camp. You are my trial run. Uh-huh. See? Uh, you're going to be my trial run for this. So I need someone to pass these out to everybody. And those will go out to just one for everyone. Hopefully I made enough copies this morning. All right, and there should be a pin in the seat pocket in front of you. I just checked. There should be a pin in the seat pocket in front of you, so you want to take that. And again, you're my test audience. You're my test group for the seminar that I'm giving at camp about this. Um, here's what I want you to do. Go ahead, and you can see the first part right there. And I want you just to, at the start of this whole message to list below the names of maybe two unchurched friends or family members or co-workers, acquaintances that you would like to share your faith with but have not done so. Now, this is unchurched. This is not the people from the large mega church in town. It's not <laughs> your, your Catholic friends. It's nothing like that. These are unchurched people. If you don't know any unchurched people, get out there and live a little. Uh, but think about it. Uh, think about maybe some people that you would want to share your faith with. Write that down and then just stop 
and we'll get to the second part at the end. How about that? So think about that. I, I want to say, when I became a youth pastor in 1999, reaching the unchurched was the big emphasis. I went to seminars. I was a new youth pastor. I had no intention to be a youth pastor. I went to school to make film and television. I had no interest in being a youth pastor. And then God just kind of called me into it. And the very first conference I went to, there was a huge emphasis in that conference to reaching the unchurched. What are we going to do to reach the unchurched in our communities, in, our, in the world that we live in? And so at that time, there was a big push that youth groups would start like a, a skate ministry, a skateboard ministry, or they would start a, uh, a coffee shop. Uh, there are all sorts of different unique ways to reach unchurched people. And to a certain degree, I feel like the church in the last 23 years has unfortunately moved away from that emphasis. It's been more about how can we keep the church people in the church. There seems to be a large emphasis often on that. I'm not saying that's the case with you guys. I don't know you guys that well yet. But uh, I know that there has been sort of that, that shift in emphasis. And so... Uh, we're going to reimagine what it looks like to reach unchurched people, what it looks like to share your faith. And I know maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe this is old hat to you. This is something that just is a part of who you are. But again, I'm doing this seminar for high school and junior high kids this week. So again, you're my trial run for this. We'll see how it goes. Um, I wanted to tell you guys about a book that uh, really revolutionized how I am a pastor, how I live as a Christian. It's uh, not the Bible. Bible is definitely one of those. But be, in order to be ordained as a pastor in the Nazarene Church, I had to read this small book right here called Articles of Faith, What, Nazarene, what Nazarenes Believe and Why. And they go through our 16 articles of faith. It's very small. But this one book revolutionized everything that I did as a youth pastor. I read this about 10, 11 years ago. Actually, probably a little bit longer ago now. Probably 12 or 13 years ago, actually. And I'll, I'll explain why. As it explains in here what each of our articles of faith are, from uh, the triune God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Scriptures, atonement, repentance, I learned something unique that I had never learned before in all my years growing up in the Nazarene Church in Oregon. I had never heard certain things. Never heard things explained the way that they were explained in this book here in, a, in order to become a Nazarene pastor. I'll explain why. We have an article of faith uh, called uh, Provenient Grace. It's Article of Faith 7. Anybody know about Provenient Grace here? Yes? Yes. Okay. We're gonna, <laughs> I'm going to be talking about an article of faith with the kids up at camp. I know, again, trial run, trial audience here. Uh, here's what it says about... Provenient grace in this book. I'll just read from there. God's provenient grace is his gracious activity in our lives. Here it comes. Long before one hears the gospel proclaimed. Long before you hear the gospel proclaimed. Atonement for sins that Jesus made on the cross has been accomplished for all persons. Already done for everyone. We believe in the all. When, when Paul throughout scripture talks about he died for all and all died in him, that is literally, we believe in the all. The next part, all grace is the work of Christ whose purpose on Calvary was to reconcile all persons to God. 
No person is a stranger to God's grace. These are amazing. No person is a stranger to God's grace. In God's prevenient work, the Spirit removes the guilt associated with original sin. Keep that in mind. In God's prevenient work, before you have that moment of acceptance or recognition, it's been done. God removes the sin before you recognize it. The guilt associated with original sin so that no person stands guilty for Adam's sin. When I read that in this book, in order to become a Nazarene youth pastor, that shook me. Because growing up, I had always heard an us versus them mentality within the church. It's the saved versus the lost. It's, the, it's, it's everyone else and us. It's, it, this is not saying that. This is literally saying what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago has gone before us, and the blood has brought people in, and they do not recognize it yet. But that is what has happened. This, this article of faith that we believe in is crazy. We have oftentimes taken this understanding, which I think is in modern American evangelical culture, is that we're going to go and we have something to offer you. You don't have something yet, but we're going to give you something you do not yet have. This article of faith, Provenient Grace, is saying we want you to recognize something you've already been given. That's huge. That was huge for me to recognize. That was huge for me to recognize because even at the time when I started out in youth ministry in 1999, all these sinning kids who would go to the skate park, we saw as sinners instead of people who, are, who, who have been redeemed. The original sin has been taken care of because of God's provenient grace. Maybe the unchurched are a window into how God's grace is working. Maybe the unchurched people are actually have something to teach us about God's grace. So hopefully now you've already written down a couple, two unchurched friends or family members, coworkers uh, on your sheet of paper. Again, don't go any farther. Just be thinking about that. Uh, here's one of the verses uh, that Paul writes in Colossians, Colossians 1, 19 through 20. says that God was pleased for all of himself to live in Christ. All of God lived in Jesus. And through Christ, God has brought all things back to himself again. Things on earth and things in heaven. This is talking past tense. This is literally talking about what happened when Christ was on this earth and what happened on the cross. It's not talking about one day in the future. It's talking about it's already happening. Paul is saying God has brought all things back to himself again. Things on earth and things in heaven. God has made peace through the blood of Christ's death on the cross it's been done uh i think is there one more verse in there or is that it nope that's that was it uh, uh I, I with that in mind i want you to realize this is incredible news in terms of how we share our faith how we live our faith out how we are christians in today's world uh are, am I saying that Nazarenes believe that everyone is already a recipient of God's grace, which was made possible by the cross? Yes, I'm saying that, but not only me. Wesley said that. Brzee said that. Paul said that. Does that mean that everyone's going to heaven? No. That's an interesting part. We'll get to that. Uh, but it, it is a part of who we are and what we understand, especially with provenient grace. It's such an important aspect. Um, since God has elected all of humanity to be 
uh, for salvation, as Wesley believed, as Brzee believed, uh, then God's, God's grace, uh, actually God's justice requires all to be judged on the basis of the grace that they have received uh, and to the degree in which that they respond to that grace. Um, there's a great line in, Ephes- in Ephesians, Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus, and he says this, I mean that you have been saved by grace through believing. You did not save yourselves. It was a gift from God. Um, not works. It's not works. Although I always think it's interesting that a lot of times the church makes it about works. If you accept, believe, confess. Well, accepting, believing, confessing, and coming down to the altar and accepting Jesus into your heart. Those are all works to a degree. What, what Paul is saying is you did nothing to, to gain what happened through the cross. Uh, it was the gift from God. It was not the result of your own efforts, so you cannot brag about it. God has made us what we are in Christ Jesus. God has made us to do good works, which God planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. So, wanting to make sure you are not saved by your good works, that is a gift of God. And then he follows that up immediately in the same in next sentence, actually, which is you now have good works to do. You now, because of you, you are the recipient of grace, you are going to go do good works. Um, Paul went around the Ro- Roman world, and he uh, experienced a lot of, um, essentially, a huge change in his life. When he went from Saul to Paul, he was out to persecute Christians, and then he became a Christ follower, and everything got messed up in his mind. Uh, he would have been the ones that would have said, everyone else is living heathen lives, and you need to come to the temple. You need to come down to uh, get reconciled to God because you're sinners. And then something took place in his life, and he started seeing God, the spirit work in the everyday world that he was in all around uh, the, the world at that time. And so in Acts 17, 16 through 28, we see this story, and I'm going to just read it to you and pause every once in a while. When Paul was waiting for Silas and Timothy in Athens, he had got to Athens, he was troubled because he saw that the city was full of idols. In the synagogue, he talked with the Jews and the Greeks who worshiped God. He also talked every day with people in the marketplace. Now, this is already huge news because I guarantee you, if they followed these other gods from the Old Testament law, the Old Covenant, he would have been making himself unclean by being in proximity with all of these other people. He probably, at one point in his life, Paul would have seen these people as a them, us versus them mentality. The unsaved versus the saved. The chosen people of God versus the not. But now he's talking with all these people. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers argued with him saying, this man doesn't know what he's talking about. What is he trying to say? Others said about Paul, he seems to be telling us about some other gods because Paul was telling them about Jesus and his rising from the dead. They got Paul and took him to the meeting to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said please explain to us this new idea you have been teaching the things you are saying to us are new to us and we want to know what this teaching means all the people of Athens and those from other countries who lived there always used their time to talk about the newest ideas then Paul stood before the meeting of the Areopagus and said People of Athens, I can see that you are very religious in all things. What an amazing start to his sentence, to his little mini-sermon. 
I see that you already are religious. You are religious. You are religious people. You're worshiping all sorts of things. You want to worship things. You want big ideas. You want new insight. You want to think bigger and more uh, uh, about the world that you live in besides just yourself. You are very religious in all things. As I was going through your city, I saw the objects you worship. I found an altar that had these words written on it, to a God who is not known. You worship a God that you don't know, and this is the God that I am telling you about. I love this. I love that he's saying, you already believe in this. You call it an unknown God. I'm just going to reveal to you what that unknown God is. It's very different than an us versus them mentality. It's literally saying, you already have a big piece of the puzzle. Let me fill in the rest. This is an amazing thing that Paul is doing, and it should change how we do modern evangelicalism now all these years later. Let me reveal to you what you already have a grasp of. In many ways, Paul is basically understanding prevenient grace. You guys already have something going on in you. Let me reveal that to you. Um, you worship God that you don't know, and this is the God that I am telling you about, the God who made the whole world and Everything in it is the Lord of the land and the sky. He does not live in temples built by human hands. I will say that is the moment where there is an us versus them mentality because he's literally telling them that when he's surrounded by temples for their gods. <laughs> he's literally saying this God that you believe in, this unknown God that you're not sure of, this is a God that does not reside in the temples that you have made. Uh, but he lives outside of it. He has made the land and the sky and the sea and the air. Uh, this is the God. This is the one. This God is the one who gives life, breath, and everything else to people. He does not need any help from them. He has everything he needs. What an amazing evangelical strategy to say that you are surrounded by this God. You already want to believe in this God. I can see that by your religiosity. Now let me explain that this God doesn't, can't be contained within what you build. He is everywhere. He is, I have been able to ascertain that by walking around your city and talking to the people. And they already want what is right there in front of them, what they actually have. Uh, Oh, there's more to it. God began by making one person, and from him came all the different people who live everywhere in the world. God decided exactly when and where they must live. God wanted them to look for him and perhaps search all around for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. Again, I love that line. He is not far removed. He's right here in our midst. Jesus said that... Essentially, he would leave the spirit behind, and that spirit would be in and around, and the kingdom would be in and among all things that we are experiencing. By his power, we live and move and exist. Some of your own poets have said, for we are his children. There's provenient grace at work. Your poets that believe in different gods already have said, in their own words, we are his children. He's literally turned it all around in this very religious culture and said, if you're religious, if you're a religious person, you're worshiping even all these other gods, 
you already have in front of you this thing which I'm going to reveal to you even more. And that changes everything about how we reach unchurched people. It is not an us versus them. It's saying we all together collectively can experience this and understand that. So let me go through a few things here about what sharing your faith is or is not. Sharing your faith is not discipleship. Uh, first and foremost, sharing your faith is not discipleship. That is a long-term relationship you enter for accountability and mentorship. Sharing your faith is not that. Uh, sharing your faith could open the door to that, but it is not necessarily discipleship. Jesus taught often to many people, but he only had a few followers that he considered his disciples. Jesus shared what his father looked like, but he allowed people to walk away from that. And so sharing your faith is not necessarily making disciples. It could open the door to it. And let me just say this for a second, just so you understand me a little bit more. Um, a lot of times we try to do a Saul to Paul type of conversion thing with people. You don't know Jesus and now you do. I think it's amazing that with Jesus himself, he allowed his closest disciples to follow him for three years before they decided to live for him. A lot of times we flip that and want everybody to start living for him and follow him at the same moment. Jesus said, no, follow me first. Get an understanding of what I'm all about with this life that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to live out. And, and then you can decide whether or not you want to live for me. The disciples really didn't start living for Jesus until after he left them. Uh, so keep that in mind. Uh, sharing your faith is not forcing people to believe in your belief system. That's sharing your doctrine or your dogma or your articles of faith. I'm not trying to get everybody to believe in Article of Faith 7. Uh, uh, or your denomination or your political convictions. I love, one of my favorite authors is an author named Philip Yancey. And Philip Yancey said that no one ever converted to Christ because they lost the argument. Yeah. Um, I, I love that. So it's not forcing people to believe. Sharing your faith is not that. Sharing your faith is not getting people to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. There is no agenda. Sharing your faith is just a natural extension of who you are becoming in Jesus. Is that, is that understandable? You are, you are simply sharing your journey, your story. Um, and then finally, sharing your faith is not inviting someone to church. That's sharing your church. Uh, that's letting your faith, your church, share your faith for you. A lot of preachers like making sermons about how to bring people to church because I think to a certain aspect they want to control how people are learning about this. But the beauty of provenient grace, and even what Paul is saying, is there is already something at work in the world. God's spirit has been unleashed into the world, and this is already happening. It's already at work. And so that's really important. So here's, an, here's I'm going to start wrapping it up here. First and foremost, start with what you have in common. If you want to share your faith, do what Paul did. He went around the city, he was talking to people, and he said, oh, you're religious. You want to worship things. You are worshiping things. Let's talk about what we have in common first. Um, a few years ago, one of the Point Loma Nazarene University bands was at our, our camp, and uh, they were a band, they, they named themselves for the summer, and they were called Ruach. Anybody know what Ruach is? So, yes? It's a word that means breath, God's breath, God's spirit. Ruach is breath, spirit, same word. And 
And so they were called Ruach because they said, as I was meeting with them before that they actually did the songs and met with our students, they said, we believe that every one of your kids has the divine in them, this provenient grace. We want to just draw that out. Beautiful. Yep. That's, that's a Nazarene understanding. We believe that God's provenient grace is for everyone. It's already out there. And so we want to be able to pull the divine out from them. Uh, Another way, another good thing to look for in other people about sharing your faith is see where the fruits of the Spirit, because we believe that the Spirit is not just contained in those who believe, we believe through provenient grace that the Spirit is in everyone, start seeing where you can see the fruits of the Spirit at work. Everything that's mentioned in Galatians, uh, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of these things, if you see that in your unchurched friends, they, that is, the, that is the evidence of the Spirit working in their midst. Um, so this is your in. That is your in. That is how you are able to tell. Uh, that's, that's, that's your conversation starter. That's your conversation starter. Uh, Colossians 3.11. I love this. Paul says this. In the new life with Jesus. In the new life, there is no difference between Greeks and Jews those who are circumcised and those who are not circumcised. By the way, when he is saying this, he's literally, these are the very labels and groupings that from his religious background, being a Jewish person and making sure that everyone fulfilled the law of the old covenant, th these were the categories that they placed people in, and us versus them. But in Jesus, there is now no longer Greeks or Jews, those who are circumcised, those who are not circumcised, those who follow the Old Testament law and those who don't or people who are foreigners or Scythians, there is no difference between slaves and free people. But Christ is in all believers, and Christ is all that is important. Uh, my uh, NIV Bible says it even a little bit differently. I think the NIV actually says it a little bit more um, uh, controversially <laughs> to a certain degree, and that is this. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Are you looking for Christ in the unchurched? Are you looking for the evidences of the provenient grace that has been poured out for everyone? Are you looking for that? That's how you reach the unchurched. By recognizing what is already taking place. You cannot contain this God to the temples built by your hands. He is already at work in his creation and in his people. Let me draw that out. Let me explain that to you. Let me explain that this treasure that you have right in front of you. Um, I want to show you a two and a half minute video really fast, and I could have just shown this video. It's uh, by a pastor. Um, don't judge him by his weird mustache. I'll just say that. Now, now that's all you'll be able to focus on is his mustache. Uh, don't focus on that, uh, but focus on what he says. And this two-and-a-half-minute video is pretty much, I didn't even need to do the message because this two-and-a-half-minute video uh, says it all.
when it comes to talking about their faith, people often say to me, I think my friends may be more open to what I'm learning about God, but I really don't know how to articulate exactly what I believe. Or, I rarely talk to my friends or coworkers about my faith because I don't want them to feel like I'm cramming it down their throats. Whatever that means, right? You hear that one a lot. Let me give you one cool thing that I like to do that has never been weird or perceived poorly by others in my life when I've done this. Instead of starting out a conversation about religion and Christianity by beginning with what we don't believe in common with another person and then debating about that with them, or going after some specific sin that I've observed in their life, like I'm their judge or something, I love pointing out how someone is an example of the kingdom of God breaking in, or how something they did reminds me of Jesus or what God is really like. It's a powerful experience for them. Most people have never experienced anything like that. And a humble and surprising form of evangelism as you connect their life directly to God's plans and purposes. Let me give you an example or two. I once told a good friend of mine who's an atheist that the knowledge and wisdom with which he conducted his business was, was incredible to me. I said that I believe that all wisdom comes from God. And then I added, and I think you've got God-given wisdom, and it reminds me of what God is like at times. Well, I thought he was going to fall over. It changed him a little right there on the spot, and it forever changed our relationship a lot. Another time, I told a dear neighbor that the way she had laid down some of her preferences so that she could bless one of my daughters in a particular situation really reminded me of the way that Jesus had laid his life down for us. Well, she's blown away. She goes, I don't know, kind of flattered and flustered. I'll have to think about that. You see, we've never looked into the face of another person that is not an image bearer of God. No matter what they've done in their life, no matter how broken, filthy, addicted, violent, or confused they may seem, God's image is never completely marred or removed from them, or from you or I for that matter. Pointing out how they still show what God is like in some small area of their life will be truly good news to them and a bridge to further conversations. I promise. So if you've been afraid to share your faith with others or just not sure where to start, the next best time to point out some good news in a person's life is now. So there you go. There's some uh, examples right there. What an awesome, hopefully you understood what he was saying and heard what he was saying. Literally, he's just basically saying, where do you see the prevenient grace already at work? Where do we see that the Spirit is at work in someone? Point that out. Point that out. That's your, that's your in. That's your go-to. So you have a piece of paper in front of you. You have a piece of, piece of paper in front of you. There's two blanks at the bottom there. And basically what I would like you to do is write down, think about those two people, and maybe think about a way that you see the Spirit at work in their life. How would you point out the Spirit at work in those two people that you wrote earlier how do you how have you observed the spirit jesus already at work in them write that down or you don't have to do it right now take it with you think about it uh, because that's your go-to um my wife had a co-worker she's a teacher she's a tutor at a high school and uh, her co-worker used to be a part of church but then he got married and he said no more church for me i grew up seventh day adventist i'm done Done with church. Have no interest in going to church anymore. And yet, he and his wife, on Thanksgiving, when most people are enjoying food and watching football, he and his wife go down to Venice Beach Boardwalk and feed 
those in need of a meal. And they build relationships with these people that need friendship. And basically, when asked why the, our friends do that, they said, well, why wouldn't we? And when it helps us recognize how thankful we are, what we are grateful for. It gives these people an opportunity to build friendships with us. And it's just a wonderful opportunity. There it is. Someone who said, I don't want anything to do more to church. Look at the spirit active in your life. That looks like the Jesus I know. That looks like the Jesus I know. That, con that is the conversation starter. Wow. You do that on your day off on Thanksgiving, and you recognize your gratefulness in the midst of that, that's the Jesus I know. It's an amazing way to talk to people and, and connect with people. Um, one of the things I see that is one of the most divisive elements right now and has been for a while is social media. Social media is often just an us versus them. Social media is literally designed to say, here's what I believe and here's why you're all wrong. <laughs> A lot of times. And a lot of our, a lot of news media, a lot of po politics in general, all that is designed in a way to say, we're right, everyone else is wrong. It's us versus them. Uh, it happens also in sports, happens over and over again, and almost everything. The beauty of what happens through Jesus and why those words in Colossians, where there is no longer slave or free, Jew or Gentile, is because he's saying, no, 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 we have something, we all have something in common. Let's start at what we have in common. Um, the Nazarene Church uh, has a general assembly that meets every four years. It hasn't since 2017, but in 2017, they actually made, and I, I did this backwards, I don't know if you have it actually back there, uh, but they wrote down at the general assembly how we as Nazarenes, bearers of the divine spirit inside of us, should be using social media. They adopted this new paragraph on the use of social media, and it says this, clergy and laity alike must be mindful, and by the way, you are laity, I'm clergy, you are laity, uh, laity alike must be mindful of how their activities on social media affect the image of Christ and his church and impact its mission within their communities. Our online activities should be life-giving and affirming and should seek to uplift all persons. Why? Because why would we make people a them when they have the same spirit at work. So our activities on social media should be designed to affirm and get and, and uplift all people. Wow. Yeah, there's a good course correction to get rid of those divisions. Paul grew up within a world that had all the divisions. And you divide yourself based on what God you follow, what systems you follow. And right into the midst of that, Paul goes in and says, wait a minute, let's talk about the fact of what we all have in common. You want to be religious and worship an unknown God? Perfect. Let me reveal to you what that unknown God looks like. I love that. Love that. So good. We're going to prepare our hearts for communion. If the worship team can come back up here, we're going to prepare our hearts for communion in just a second. Um, but just enter into this time of worship uh, as you think and contemplate what it means to recognize the spirit, the ruach that is already within us and to the person seated next to you and the person that you work with. Uh,
Let's, uh, let's prepare our hearts together.